usually I don't sweat getting up and preaching. And, uh, it, you know, it's, I don't get nervous about it, right? I've done it so long, I don't, I don't sweat it. I've been a pastor since 1991. I've been preaching since about 1998. So you just get up and you go, you roll. And people go, do you ever just wing it? And I'm like, no, I don't ever just wing it. But um, usually I'm fairly confident, right? I've got a good message, it's going to work. And even if it's bad, right, even if it's not excellent, I know that I can do a serviceable lesson and you'll go, well, it wasn't his best, but it was okay. I'm telling you what, this morning I'm a little nervous and I'm a little daunted by preaching. And, and I like that feeling because it's uncomfortable, right? I like that you know, growing a little bit. But part of that is because my young associate pastor is pushing so hard with his preaching. Pastor Trevor's last three sermons on this series have been three of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. See, we can't, we can't clap at 8.30 because we don't clap, but 10.30, we can go berserk. It's great. When he came through and talked about looking at this story through the eyes of Judah, and then I had to get up and confess the creed, I stood at that cross, which would felt for 20 minutes going... Right? That, that, that's a story. This is family. This isn't a story that we made up that doesn't connect. This is a historical narrative of a family. And each one of us either grew up in, is a part of, or estranged from a family. There's not a one of us that got here just kind of transported in from the enterprise. We, it's where we came from. It's who we are. And so this morning, we, we, we kind of conclude this story. We, we let it go a little bit. But, but it's, I think it's important that this Word of God kind of has its way in our hearts a little bit. That instead of just saying, oh, it all worked out good in the end, and all's well that ends well, I think part of it is, is the ability to look at a story of a family for a long time and see how things work out. And so today we get that. We get the end. We get Genesis chapter 50, probably one of the coolest chapters in all of the scriptures. We, we've gone through Adam's family in Genesis. We've gone through Noah's family in Genesis. We've gone through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's family. Genesis, we started talking about the story of families and God-loving families and caring for his people throughout good days and hard days, easy days, and bad days. And so I've got the unenviable task of cleaning up after three excellent sermons by my young associate and thinking about three pieces, three pieces from this text, from Genesis 54 and 5, life always narrows at the end. And the second piece then is that God's intentions trump our intentions, Genesis 50, 20. And then that marvelous promise from Joseph to his brothers God will come to your aid, Genesis 50, 24, and 25. First, life always narrows at the end. Our lives are big. We live in Orange County. Uh, do you realize that we compete on Sunday mornings not just with uh, other churches, but we compete with Disneyland, we compete with the Angels, we compete with the Dodgers, we we compete in a, in, in, for 
time and space and money and attention and people and all of those things. We live in Orange County. We have big lives. And we want and aspire for our children and our young people to have big lives. We want them to have jobs that they connect to for meaning. We want them to have an education that moves them into that job. We want them to to be in a place of bigness. My son is a better dad than I was. I was a better dad than my dad. My dad was a better dad than his dad. Big. And then life narrows. And all of a sudden, the things that we invested in so heavily, we said, this is so important, this is so big, we got to get this done, this, this is it, this is the plan, this is my life. And all of a sudden, something happens, and, and, and we're in this narrow spot. And the other people are gone, and the noise is gone, and the superfluous pieces are gone, and I hate to say it, but football and soccer and basketball, all those things are just gone. And what's really important in life is there in that narrow place. Jacob is in that narrow place in our text. Jacob had had a big life. Abraham had a big life. Isaac had a bigger life. And now Jacob has a huge life. Twelve boys, lots of girls, lots of grandkids running around. Abraham was one guy, now Jacob is this huge entourage of people. He had money, he had place, he had position. But now all of that stuff is gone. And he's left with his family. And and what he wants is for everything to be okay with his family. And maybe it's a grandpa that it takes to see that. A dad has got to pay bills and work life and do that. But a grandpa is able to step back and say, what I really want in this narrow place is for my boys to be okay and for my life to be meaningful in some regard rather than just the sum total of the assets that I've accumulated. And so Jacob goes back not to a bottom line, but Jacob goes back to a promise A promise that no doubt his father tapped him on the shoulder and said, you need to remember. And his father, Abraham, tapped Isaac on the shoulder and said, you know what, you need, you you need to remember that God came down and visited, visited your grandpa in a tent and said, I'm going to make you prosperous. I'm going to make you a nation and I'm going to bless the whole world in and through you. Abraham. And so Jacob, who could have been buried in a pyramid like King Tut, says, take my body back to Egypt. Because in the narrow place, he went back to the promise of God. God had promised the land, the nation, and that the blessing of his family would be universal through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants. And through the pain of Joseph's supposed death and the deceptions of his boys and all the politics and all the tears and all the joy and all the stuff, he remembers the narrow path, the covenant that God made to his grandpa Abraham. And so he wants to be buried in Canaan. All I thought about all week on this sermon was the long game. Sometimes we want to play a short game. 
Get it done, get it done, get it done. Check, 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 check. I operate off a list every week. Check, 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 check. Every Monday morning before the staff devotion, check, 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 check. I work my list, I check it off. I check the last three things off today. Preach a sermon, be a good guy, and don't say anything dumb. <laughs> I write that at the bottom. Don't be dumb. You know what? Sometimes it's very helpful. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. How patient are you? Are you patient enough to play the long game in your life? Because it's super hard when you're young. And when you're old, you have no other choice but to play the long game. I wish I had the body and the physicality of 28-year-old Tim with the wisdom of 59-year-old Tim. But God doesn't provide that. The long game. Jacob is now at the end. He's, he's, he's looking at the long game. And his life is in a narrow place. And so Jacob says what he needs to say. Joseph says what he needs to say to his father. The family has this marvelous reconciling peace. After all this stuff that come down, there's this marvelous peace of coming together. Because at the end, after 50 years of turmoil, all of a sudden, here they are, and they're all together, and they're doing their thing. United around the love for their dad. United around the love and the honor of Jacob. The boys come together. John writes at the end of his gospel, these have been written, these words of scripture are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing have life in his name. He says, these are written. He also said, there's a whole lot more to the story. For me, I'd love to hear the rest of Judah's story that's not recorded in Scripture. I wonder if Jacob went to his boy and said, man, you were a bad, bad news when you were young. But man, has God redeemed your life. Thank you, Judah, for your faithfulness in running the business, for the responsibility you took for your brothers, for getting us here and reconnecting and all of the things you did in Egypt to make sure that we had what we needed. But even more, for me at the end in the narrow place, for our family to be reconciled together. Judah, you're such a turkey, but thank you. Somehow in that narrow place, there's an opportunity for words of encouragement and grace and love and kindness. No one ever says to their pastor as they're going to be with Jesus in the hospital room, I really wish I had more money and I really wish I would have worked harder. What they want is a hand in their hand. And to hear a voice that says, I'm here. And to know that as they're going to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus, that the family is going to be okay. And I think part of it is living our lives in the wide place with our eye always on building relationships into the narrow place and letting resentment and anger and my way, that's got to be my way, letting that go so that in the narrow way there is peace. Secondly, from Genesis 50 verse 20, God's intentions trump our intentions I love that, that scripture. You intended to harm me, Joseph said, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Work the long game. 
It would have been under Joseph's thing to kill them all, to give them no thing, to steal their brother, to ruin their lives and say, ha, I showed you with my passive aggressive attitude, I'm going to make your lives miserable. Wrong. Joseph operates in mercy. He operates with kindness in the long game. And then he says, you intended to harm me, but God, right, God intended it for good. So maybe the question to ponder on in the next 10 minutes here is, how long can you wait? How long can you sit? And let God's intentions be made very clear in your lives and the decisions that you make. See, we see our intentions of terms of what we want to see happen now and in the present moment, and we try to control life in such a sense, manipulating and, and, and pounding people into the way we want them to be rather than kind of letting things develop. You intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. The boys wanted and intended to harm Joseph, to kill him, to be done with them, to get rid of the feelings that they had that couldn't be assuaged of not being loved. And in the short term, it worked. They brought Joseph the coat. They told him that the animals had eaten him. They sold him off to Potiphar, and then he went to jail and all that stuff. But in the end, all they did was serve God's good intention. God's intention trumps ours. And God's, and God's intention was this, to bring the covenant to bear in the life of a baby through the descendants of Abraham. He was going to bring the Messiah through Abraham's line. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Reuben, Manasseh, Benjamin, Joseph, all those. Ultimately, there would be Mary and Joseph and a baby in a manger. And how ironic that that seed of that baby would come through Judah and not through Joseph. Interesting. Actually, one of Joseph's nephews named Perez was bearing the DNA of the Savior. That was God's intention all along. That not about food in Egypt, but about the seed of the DNA. It wasn't about all the stuff they had to do and the amassing of all those things. It was about the Messiah being born. So God handled all the conflict. God handled the resolution. God handled the reconciliation. God fed them. God took care of them. And at the end, there it is. The springboard to be the blessing to all the nations through Judah's son Perez. I love that. We don't get to see that intention except through the lens of history and through faith in the one who made the promise. I will be your God and you will be my people. You intended this for evil, but God intended this for good. How long are you willing to wait for God to work good from something that's painful in your life? If you ask me that as a 35-year-old father of two little kids, I would say about four minutes. If you were to ask me that as a 59-year-old father of two adults, grandson of one, grandfather of one, I'd say, I don't know, I can sit a lot more still now than I could 25 years ago. How long are you willing to wait to see God's intentions worked out in your life? And here's God's intention for you. 
What he said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, I'll make you a great nation. I intend to make you wealthy. I intend to prosper you. And I intend to bless all of the world through you and your family, Abraham. But God's intentions for us here and now, for you this morning, well, through the promise of Scripture, God intends to do good to you. God intends to do good to you. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 that all things, even the painful ones, work together for good. God intends to do good to you. And then in that same chapter, we we are reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is God's intention for you, that you would never be separated from the love you have in the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. That is what God intends. And it means that we hold on to that faith and we hold on to that promise, even when everything screams, let go and do it yourself. And in the back of our minds, oh yeah. God intends for my good. That's, that's right. Even this garbage, that's right. Even that works together for good. God's intentions for you are good. He does not want you to have a miserable life. He does not want you to have a life that's so small you can control it on your own. Rather, God wants you to have a life that's filled with meaning and purpose and blessing. God intends to do good for you. Joseph was stuck in a cistern. Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph was in jail and Joseph persevered. All of that. (laughs) And he says his brothers at the end, you meant this for harm, but God intended this for good. Jesus is the ultimate reality of God's intent for us. For in and through Jesus, God has saved us all. He's fulfilled his intention in Christ that we would be viewed by God in his grace rather than in his judgment. And that we would be recipients of God's mercy. And that ultimately God would use the Messiah to save you and me. Our intentions, hot, cold, up, down, short, fast, changing by the moment. But God's intention in your life is to work good for you. And that last little piece I love as well. Thirdly, God will come to your aid. They say that twice in here if you're paying attention. God will come to your aid. It's written down twice so we don't forget it. And it's a Hebrew word that means God will visit you. And I love that. It's not that he visits you in anger. He visits you in grace. He's not visiting you to check out the theological books that you read or to dig through your closets. He's visiting you to love you and care for you. God will visit you. God will look over you. God will come to your aid. I love in this story at the end that Joseph blesses his brothers and their families. He reminds them of his own personal forgiveness and the corporate forgiveness and grace of God as well. God will come to your aid. He knew what he was talking about. He knew what he'd been through. He'd been through a whole long life of disappointment and rebirth and renewal. He was playing a long game. And now with gray hair or no hair, with lots of life behind him and not nearly as much ahead of him, Joseph looks and says, this is about forgiveness and reconciliation and loving and caring for each other. And the DNA would carry on. 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to exile in Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile 
to Jesus. And in Jesus, God comes to our aid. Forty-two generations. How patient can you be? How long can you wait for God to come to your aid? Sometimes it feels like we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting as if we're stuck or God has forgotten us. And this story reminds us that neither of those are true. Sometimes we do get stuck in anxiety. We get stuck in addiction. We get stuck in grief. We get stuck blaming someone else for our own lives. And maybe the story helps us flesh some of that out. But more more than the place of being stuck is the place we find release in the promise and the covenant of God for us in the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For the God who saw Jacob and Joseph and his whole family through this is the God who will see you through the painful pieces of your life. God will come to your aid. He will come to visit you, not with the fiery eyes of condemnation and judgment, but with the eyes of his mercy, with the tones of his grace, with the embrace of his love. For after it's all said and done, when life goes from here to here, maybe those words of Joseph ring in our ears. You meant this for harm, but God meant this. Will you pray with me? Lord, it is a good morning to be together. To let some of that stuff in our hearts and lives just stir up. And, and, and while I'm not a psychologist, Lord, and neither are you, but you are a redeemer and I am a preacher and you give me your word and we preach that gospel. And the gospel has a way of having its way in our hearts, leading us away from self and judgment, control and ugliness and all the stuff we got to say to ah. give us in our families those tones of grace and love and acceptance. To say those things that make a difference for good in the lives of those we love the most. I pray, Father, that you'd open doors for that like you did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for Judah and Joseph and the whole crew. You opened up opportunities for, for them to reconcile and find your peace. Where families are struggling with discord, I pray for that today. And I pray that you would give such an insight as to when the moment is right that those of us who are here today would say, oh my gosh, that's what he prayed for. Let's go and put your words of grace and reconciliation in our hearts. Thank you for a community, Lord, that's committed to reconciliation and forgiveness and that doesn't stub its toe when things get tough. Abide with us, live with us, live within us. Grant us your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.